just a quick alert, guys, that I swear once in this podcast, just once, but if there are children around, I'm really sorry. It's in the middle, about 15 minutes in. It's one F-bomb. And, uh, yeah, sorry about that. Hypothetic RL podcast. My name's David, and it's time to have fun with rugby league history. Each episode on the podcast, we take an event from the timeline of rugby league history, make a change to that event, and then we see how that would affect things going forward for the rest of the timeline of rugby league history. So, this is the second episode I'm taping tonight, just to give you a bit of an insight. And this one will be the last episode for the season. This is episode 18, and after that, I'm going to be moving into the NRL Hypothetic RL mini-series that I'm doing, which is uh, NRL Irrational Mergers. Uh, so I said it in the last podcast, but look, I'd really appreciate if you guys can rate and review. I'd like to have you know as many people as possible hearing me talk. Uh, not that I want them to hear me talk, but I, I really want to have quite a few people listening for the, the mini-series I've got coming up. Uh, I've got 12 what I feel very important people as guests, um, fans of, of these 12 clubs that I'm talking to, and I think they deserve to be listened to by more than you know two men and a dog. So uh, hopefully you guys can, can um, get out there and uh, encourage your friends to listen to it if you can, uh, especially the miniseries ones. Once I start putting those episodes out, I'm obviously going to tag everyone who's, who's involved, and it'd be really great to... Um, you know, the chats I've had so far have, have been really good quality and it'd be great for everyone to be able to appreciate it. Uh, like I usually say, I'm available to uh, correspond with, if you want to say, on uh, Twitter at HypotheticRL. You probably all know that one. And HypotheticRL at gmail.com. I don't get a lot of emails, but obviously if anyone wants to email me, if you've got ideas for episodes, if you wanted to come on and talk to me about a particular bigger topic that you think uh appreciate having chris on for the episode that came out a little while ago the um the one about poker machines and the brl i'm happy to do a alternative brl ones if someone else wants to come on and we want to do a completely different part of brl want to come to some different conclusions that's the best thing about hypotheticals we can we can do one that we can do one slightly differently and we can come up with a completely different result so Anyway, if you guys wanted to do that, that'd be great. Uh, and well, obviously, I'm not gonna. I'm thinking I'm not gonna probably record too many more this year, apart from the mini series. Uh, I might do a couple over the summer period if I feel like it. But um, looking to probably try and hold it off and through the off season, maybe just do a few more next year. See how we go. All right. Well, with that out of the way, let's find out what we're gonna do for this week. <coughs> The event for this week took place on the 4th of October 2009 at the 75th minutes, 75 minutes and 8 seconds. Uh, and it is a kick being put through by Todd Lowry with obviously 
It'll be over a little bit less than five minutes to go on the clock. Parramatta attacking Melbourne's line in the grand final. And the kick is put through in an attempt to try and... Well, it looks like he's trying to kick it for Jared Hayne. Uh, the kick goes directly to Ryan Hoffman. Uh, Melbourne obviously take possession of the ball. Then later in that set, they are given a penalty, which is, I mean, as a Parramatta fan, fairly dubious. And Melbourne go on to win that game 23-16. At the time of the kick, it's 22-16. So a try at that point would have been a big turning point. And what we're going to say is Todd Lowry kicks the ball, but he kicks it fractionally harder and straighter. So the, what happens is he's got the ball probably about 12 metres in from touch, about about on the, about the 10 metre line. He kicks the ball on an angle towards the post. Jared Hayne is running not at the post line. He's probably running about 10 metres outside the post line. And the angle of the ball does not give him a chance to compete for it. If instead going for the kick, Todd Lowry actually decides to run a bit further to the line and throw a pass to Jared Hayne, who is running back towards... Well, is, is running towards the line. Uh, he gets a one-on-one -on -one with Hoffman. He steps off his left behind Hoffman, who was already running towards trying towards Lowry, trying to uh, plug that gap. Uh, so Hayne would be able to get on the inside shoulder of Hoffman. The next Melbourne player is looks quite lazy. He's not actually coming across. There's a, a large gap would appear underneath the posts, or close to the posts, and Jared Hayne would score under or adjacent to the post. Parramatta obviously score that points and it goes 22 all and with the momentum of that game we're going to say that Parramatta would go on and win the 2009 grand final should he have passed instead of kicking the ball directly to Hoffman. I like doing these ones. I did one for a Cronulla grand final where we talked about a flick pass that did come off for uh, Tommy Bishop. This is obviously not a set play, this is just off the cuff but if you know anything about the 2009 Parramatta season off the cuff was pretty much exactly what they did all the time. So with that out of the way, we're going to go back and see how, what the events were leading up to this. And for that, we need to rewind. <laughs> the start to the Paramount Eels 2009 Premiership campaign was a dismal one. By round 12, Parramatta was sitting in third last position and had just been beaten by Cronulla, who were in the last position in a dismal, rain-affected affair at Paramount Stadium, 13 points to 10. I was at that game. It was a pathetic performance. Parramatta, under the coaching of Daniel Anderson, was lacklustre. They were rigid. They had basically no attack and were performing very poorly. In the season up to that point, they had only won three games and drawn one against South Sydney. And as I said, sitting in that third last position. I've heard some accounts that around that time there was a famous pizza night. So pretty much if you go through the history of rugby league, there's always or the, there's always these stories of, you know, bonding, getting the boys together, and then all of a sudden everything turns around. Uh, it wasn't instantaneous for the Parameter Eels. They did turn around next week playing Newcastle, defeating them at home, 20 points to 18. But they did then lose against the West Tigers. They had a bye. They had a win against the Broncos and then two losses, a very high-scoring affair against Penrith. And then 
a loss against the Gold Coast Titans, who did eventually finish third on the table. So they, it was a, it wasn't too bad of a loss either. So they had turned some of their form around. Uh, by the time that we're talking about here, they had released Brett Finch and you know their halfback they had signed, and he had gone on to join the Melbourne Storm. So it was a, a club that was in a bit of crisis, you'd think about, and there was also a lot of injuries. So uh, the first choice halves pairing was no longer, and we were relying on, sorry, and the Parramatta Eels were relying on a rookie in Daniel Mortimer and an experienced, well, reserve grade almost experienced player in Jeff Robson, who had come from Manly, uh, hadn't had that many first grade games, but had been playing a lot of reserve grade. Uh, so you're talking about, you know, a rookie and a reserve grader running your team. Like I said, a lot of injuries. They came out in round 19 against the Melbourne Storm at Paramount Stadium and won 18-16. And from that point on, that was a major turning point in their season. They then went on to win... seven games in a row up to the round 26 clash with the St. George Illawarra Dragons. They did lose that game 37-0, but it is thought that among Parramatta fans, obviously, that they were foxing, that it didn't really matter. Parramatta had already secured the eighth position. They could not be knocked out of the finals. They couldn't really finish any higher. It wouldn't make any difference. And they knew that if they played St. George the week after, that if St George put everything out there, that they may be able to get an advantage from that. Uh, we thought at the time, I think it's been proven afterwards that Daniel Anderson was not that smart of a coach. Just looked like Paramount didn't turn up for that game and obviously didn't come off. Now, just going through this period, it's, it's all good, and well and good to say, you know, that they turned it around. I think the, the major reason that you've got to see they turned it around, like I said, I was, I was at that wet rainy game and against Cronulla in round 12 uh, and they were pathetic attacking wise and like I said it was it was five drives and kick like there was not much I know it was wet weather football but that's pretty much all they were doing as soon as they came back when they got to that Panthers game the one that they did lose but it was a high scoring game 38 to 34 the Paramount team had just decided in that pizza meeting, that you want to call it, that little pizza party they had, they were just going to go out and play football. Um, sounds a bit simple, sounds a bit silly, but basically what they did is they looked for offloads. They looked for second-man play. They they ran harder, obviously tackled as well, but there was many occasions where the ball would pop out and it would just go straight to hand to someone else and everything was coming up for them and it was just this, this real dream run. Um... They, obviously, like I said, we're talking about that St. George game in round 26. You know, they got comprehensively beaten. But you'd feel that it looked like when I've seen that game before, part of the reason was that, you know, they just, the ball didn't hit the hand that day. And that's what you, you play high-risk football. That's what's going to happen. So going on from that, they played the qualifying final against St. George and defeated them. Uh, St George end up losing in the next week as well, so they they're the minor premiers of 2009, and they end up losing in straight sets. Uh, 
and then Parramatta comes up against the Gold Coast Titans, and they defeat them 27-2, to so comprehensive win. And then they come up against one of their old enemies in Canterbury and defeat them in the preliminary final, which gets us to this game against Melbourne. Obviously, normally what I would do is I would stop and say that gets us to the event, but like I said, the event that we're talking about is in the 75th minute of this game. And now we interrupt this podcast for a message from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by Choking. Choking is something that Parramatta does all the time. And St George, I might add. But Parramatta does it all the time. It's not good. It's painful. It's painful if you choke in any way. So, fuck you choking. Sorry, not supposed to swear. (coughs) Parramatta has a little bit of history in terms of grand final performance, um, in terms of big big game performance. I'm a Parramatta fan for for a long, long time, and I can tell you it hurts a lot watching them in finals, and this is another one of those ones that really does hurt. So... Basically, what what happens with Parramatta is they they just have it's just the nerves on the day, I suppose. They just they can't complete, they can't get that victory. It's a I'm not sure if it's a, a club thing or just an individual players thing, but it's it just feels like when Parramatta are, are, are almost home, they're never home. So, and when they you think they're about to win a premiership, they're not going to win a premiership. So. We go back to the late 90s. We go back to a string of quite a few years, seasons in a row from 97 right through to 2001 where they were in a big game and they just don't get the result. So, you know, we all know about 98 and pe- less people know about 99 where Parramatta had led late in the game against Melbourne uh, going to the preliminary final and obviously Melbourne go on and win that grand final afterwards. Uh, in 2000, where Parramatta basically, you know, they're very close to, to defeating the Broncos, who eventually go on and win it as well. And then we talk about the 2001 grand final. So the, the scars of 2001 were well and truly still there. There was there were quite a few players that had still been in that team eight years, la- eight years later in 2009. But you can see from 2001, they just don't turn up in the first half at all. And when you're down... 24-0 at half-time in a grand final. It's a pretty brave effort to even get back to 30-24. to 24, But, you know, that's not what we're doing tonight. We're talking about 2009. So, Parramatta turns up in 2009, the grand final. Very similar to 2001. They, Melbourne find a weakness, obviously, in the edges. They, they go through the edge twice and lead 10-0 at half-time. Parramatta just don't look up for it in this grand final. They look like they've, they just don't have... Maybe not as much as in that St George game, but they just don't have it in them. They don't the the passes aren't quite sticking as as well. Melbourne's covering up all of the all those little gaps. They're not allowing the offloads as much, and you know that's it's becoming a bit of an arm wrestle. So it gets down to eleven minutes to go, just b- just a little bit more than eleven minutes to go, and Melbourne are, are winning twenty two to six. So. The game looks like it's it's almost over. Uh, Joel Reddy scores a try. It's um it's from that point that Parramatta start this comeback. So it goes twenty two to six. They score, they score again, and all of a sudden it's twenty two sixteen. Billy Slater makes a or drops a, a bomb 
about six minutes from time and parameter on the tack and this kick that comes from Todd Lowry is at the end of that set. So you can feel the momentum has changed. So in the in the final 11 minutes, basically in five minutes, Paramount scores two tries. And then this is their opportunity to score that final try that's going to get them level. So basically what happens is, you know, Todd Lowry puts that kick through and it goes straight to Hoffman. Um, but like we said, this time in this hypothetical, instead of kicking that ball through, Todd is going to throw a pass, and that pass is going to be thrown to the right-hand side of, of Jared Hayne, the left-hand side of Hoffman. He's going to wrong-foot Hoffman, go in and score, probably under the posts. Billy Slater is too far away to stop that try. That's four minutes to go, so Parramatta scored three tries in six minutes. They're going to get the ball back from a kickoff. They're going to be 22 all, and at this point, Parramatta's all over Melbourne, and we're going to say that Parramatta score another try in regulation, that they win 28 to 22, and that they take home that 2009 Grand Final. So that's caught us up to all the events that happened leading up to that 75th minute. So let's have a look at what would have happened should Parramatta have scored and and scored again and won that grand final. So like I said, the major thing that's going to change if Todd Larry throws that pass is that Parramatta is going to win the 2009 grand final. Uh, it would be their first grand final in their first grand final win in 23 years and it would obviously mean that the 2009 premiership does not have an asterisk or a cross line out. Uh, like we all know, Melbourne Storm are stripped of that premiership, so there is no official winner of 2009, I should say. And basically what that means is that Melbourne Storm gets stripped one less premiership, uh, Parramatta receive one more premiership, and they move on their way to 2010. What happens in 2010 for Parramatta is they are found out, basically. Their, their high-risk style is not working for them as well, they actually start to regress back to the original style that they had played. I think it may have been part of the carryover from what had happened in the grand final. It seems like perhaps what it was is that they believe that Melbourne sort of, how do I put it, Melbourne outpatients them maybe, that they, that the, um, the high-risk style was not working and that, you know, you can't, you can't play it that with that offload and that sort of mentality. Uh, it, a little bit of second-year syndrome for Daniel Mortimer and I suppose to an extent for Jeff Robson. And basically teams were prepared to, to wrap the ball up a bit more and Parramatta weren't prepared to offload the ball as they had been doing because they were scared that they were going to commit the error. They were scared that they weren't going to have the right intensity to, to win it. I think they thought if they played a little bit more of a conservative style that they would be able to win the Premiership in 2010. So I suppose I can go about this two ways. I could go about this as a realistic fan, or I could go about this as a totally devoted Blue and Gold fan. So the totally devoted Blue and Gold fan is going to say, 2010, if Parramatta has won the Premiership, they know that they can win a Premiership by playing that style, and they will continue to play that style and that they would be much more successful than they were because they weren't playing that boring conservative style that they were trying to play and that they would go on to win 
numerous premierships and the club would be rosy and we would never have the problems of the early 2010s and we would never receive those spoons. We wouldn't have the whole issue of, of the salary cap issue we had because we were trying to avoid the wooden spoons and it'd be fantastic and rosy. Uh, I think the more realistic thing is that 2010, they may have not been as conservative, but they were still never going to be competitive. And that's not just because they weren't playing attacking football, it's because other teams had adjusted and other teams had real, realised that they needed to lock that ball up and Parramatta couldn't get away with this, this offload sort of style. And I think it probably would have been the same situation they probably still would have sacked their coach, Daniel Anderson, and moved on to the next coach. And the cycle that they went through would would continue on. So I think it's going to make that much difference. The only real difference is, for all the Parramatta fans out there, they're not going to sit there at this point going, it has been 34 years for a premiership. It's, um, it's going to be a whole lot better saying that it's only been 11. And that's probably the biggest advantage that you'd have I don't think much changes for Melbourne Melbourne obviously are still going to get found out it doesn't matter if they win that premiership or they don't win it the NRL was going to find out about their their salary cap cheating uh, they were going to strip them those points and and those premierships they were going to not accrue points in 2010 they were still going to turn around and win again by 2012 there's nothing that was going to happen there that's going to change if they win 2009's premiership or not so effectively, the major change that you have from all of this is that Parramatta gets that premiership. The Parramatta faithful are a little bit better, feel a little bit better about themselves than they did. And it just proves that Parramatta can win a grand final that's not in the 80s. Uh, that's pretty much all that I can say. I hope that you've enjoyed this podcast for today. Please review, uh, rate and review if you can. Obviously, leave me a comment on hypotheticrl at gmail.com or if you want to send me something on Twitter at hypotheticrl, that'd be great. I Like I said, just reminding you guys that I will have a series. This will be the last podcast episode. So after this episode on the Monday, the following week, not the day after, but the following week on the Tuesday, I'm going to start the NRL uh, Irrational Mergers series. I'm going to run them as two episodes a week, so a Tuesday and a Thursday. I'll obviously announce this all on Twitter as well, but if you guys can you know, tune in, let me know what you think about it. Hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, there could be some more things that are involving me coming up in the future. I'm still in a bit of negotiations with some things, but I really hope you've enjoyed this one. I hope the Parramatta fans enjoy it. I hope you enjoy that we've that Nathan Highmarsh gets his premiership. Nathan Kalis gets his premiership. He gets to hold up the trophy. And Parramatta gets to do the victory lap on the 4th of October 2009. We get to have a premiership in our lifetime for a lot of us. I mean, I was six last time they won a grand final, so we could have one we actually remember. And uh, this will be the first of probably a few times that I give Par Parramatta a premiership. I'm kind of waffling on about it now because I'm kind of, I'm almost tearing up here, guys. I'm feeling really, really happy. I'm, I'm, I'm being I'm being realistic. I'm actually feeling really good about it and really sad about it at the same time because the fact that I'm sitting here in a in this small room talking about it just makes me think that 
you know, if only it could have actually happened, um, it would have been such an amazing event to happen. It would have been such an amazing time for me, uh, but it didn't. And so uh, that's what makes me feel sad that I still am waiting to see this, this grand final come our way. I'm not sure if I'm ever going to see this team win a grand final. I don't think I'm ever going to believe it. Like I said to someone the other day, the only time I think I'll ever believe that Parramatta is going to win the grand final is when they're competing against another team in the Challenge Cup, on the Challenge Cup, in the competing against another team in the World Club Challenge, um, which means that they must have won the grand final. I don't even think I'll believe it at the end of full time. I don't think I'll even believe it the next season. But, um, you know, if there is a football got up there, please... Give us one eventually. We've been waiting so long. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed this one. It, like I said, it'll be the end of the season. I really apologise if I've waffled on. I've waffled on way too long. But if you could, um, like I said, if you could rate and review, that'd be great. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye.